Hi all, and welcome to China EVs and More, where my co-host Lei Sheng and I will go over some of the week's most important news coming out of the China EV, AV, and mobility space. We will open the room up at around the 40-minute mark to anyone who's keen to ask us any questions. We have one rule: we appreciate vigorous debate, but let's all be considerate and respectful to each other. What Lei and I discuss today is based on our opinions and should not be taken as investment advice. Even if it sounds like investment advice, it isn't. We encourage those who enjoy this room to please connect with us on Clubhouse, LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, and of course, tune in again next week. My name is Tu Li, and I'm the managing director at Sino Auto Insights, a Beijing-based consultancy that helps organizations bring innovative and tech-focused products and services to the transportation and mobility sectors. I write a free weekly newsletter that we pull many of our discussion topics from. You can sign up for it at sinoautoinsights.com, which, of course, I encourage you all to do. Lei, can you please introduce yourself? Yes. Hey, y'all. Good evening from my side.、Uh, my name is Lei, and I am the former chief editor of China Auto Review, which published newsletters and the only tabloid magazine in English focused exclusively on the Chinese auto market. I've spent Pretty much the last 20 years、um, on the ground in China covering the industry. I'm now in the U.S. as an independent analyst consultant and still trying to keep tabs on the rapidly evolving market. <laughs> this is episode 24, and this week we're talking. Last Saturday, Xpeng announced the pre-sale pricing of the P5, and then I think the industry got. Somewhat quiet for a few days, and all of a sudden, <laughs> this rainstorm in Zhengzhou in Henan Province, you know, took over、uh, the news. Right, the headlines. It's tragic. It's tragic. And the last couple of days was all of a sudden was very active.、Uh, we heard about Mercedes ten days after Volkswagen announced their 2030、uh, sort of a strategy. Volvo cars, you know, became I guess. Aside from Tesla, the only non-Chinese automaker to control operations in in China, Ferrari Future,、uh, <laughs> after、uh, you know all these years, finally got listed on Nasdaq today. And Neo ES8 set sail for Norway. So, let's talk about the P5. I think this was one of the most、um, talked about models in, in the Chinese、uh, market this year. Highly probably, anticipated, yeah, highly、right. anticipated.、Uh, probably for the sole reason that it claims to be the first smart EV, mass-produced smart EV with lidar and two lidars, for that matter. And, and so, it was supposed to, and it was supposed to get pricing, and、um, at the Shanghai Auto Show, so. right? So quite a few episodes ago, we we talked about this on our Shanghai Auto Show、uh, recap. And it's been three months since they, you know, announced the, the unveiled the model. So I thought this was a bit of a, even, you know, with the announcement of the 160,000 to 230 MMB pricing, I think there's still a bit of mystery surrounding the model and especially the pricing. Right?、Uh, we don't have the breakdown. There are six different variants available to order, which is a lot. Yeah. Well, you know. We can debate on that, but there's there's the G versions, there's the E versions, and there there are the P versions. 
basically it's it's you know xpeng so they're they're designating their models with the p e n g <laughs> basically to uh you know denote different versions so for the g it's like the you know the the entry level there's nothing right <laughs> by by smart ev standards there's nothing and then there's the the e version which has the xpeng 3.0 xpilot xpilot uh, which offers expressway ngp and the top of line models with the p which offer the two lidars and has xpilot 3.5 offers both the expressway ngp and local urban <laughs> ngp so that's basically you know the breakdown and the and the numbers denote the range of sure. the vehicle. So 600P means that it's the highest end with the two LIDAR that is estimated at a 600 kilometer range. Right. Worth noting to the 460 is the LFP while the higher, the two higher ones are the NMC uh, cell chemistries. So what do you think? I mean, this, this price so, range, I think we don't have the breakdown of each of the six variants. I think they're still keeping it a mystery. So on paper, the complexity of manufacturing seems to be not so much, right? Because we're adding LiDAR to the two high-end versions and swapping out battery cells from a range standpoint, but the rest should be software. So from a manufacturing standpoint, it should still be pretty simple, but from a, wow, that's a lot to digest and... With the P5, because they've taken so long to come out with pricing, that tells me that they did an, a reassessment. So they did an initial assessment. They came up with pricing for the P5. Prior to the Shanghai Auto Show, there were all these other announcements from vehicle manufacturers about new products and their pricing. And not only that, Tesla also coming back with reduced pricing for the Model 3 and the Model Y. And so it seems with this huge range of 160 to 230, they're trying to be almost everything to everybody with this P5, which is to me very, very confusing um, because it'll end up being the 80-20 rule where people are either going to buy the cheap variant or they're going to buy the, the higher variant. And when you give people this many choices, I think some people will be discouraged and just want something very simple without having to explain all these different things. You know, it took you four minutes to kind of talk through all the different variants. So uh, if I'm a shopper, I just want to understand you know, how does this compete with the Model 3, the the BYD Han, right? Because I think that should probably be a competitor, although Han is a little bit bigger. And other sedans, right? Because now we're, we're talking specifically entry-level sedans, right? So the Model Y is actually not a direct competitor to the P5. That would, the, the Model Y would compete directly with the G3. Or, yeah, yeah the G3. So a bit confusing and... I would love to have them, I would have loved for them to have been more decisive and just said, this is what we're doing. But they sharpened their pencil on the product cost or the product price, but it sounds like they're going to be trying to make it up on the service side by adding autonomous or ADAS features as a service subscription costs. So, right. And the big caveat is that you still need to pay for the X-Pilot 3.0, 3.5, 
software and upgrades, and those pricing were not announced. Right. How much are they? We don't know. And here's my take on the mysteriousness of the pricing, of the nature of the pricing. I think this is probably coming from the fact that there's obviously whenever you launch a new model, you know, building on the pretty successful P7, right, which is higher priced, you're going to run into a kind of internal debate where you put the pricing that's in the first place. Right. Um, and second point is, with the P5 being the first globally mass-produced smart EV with LiDAR, Xbone wants to set the benchmark, okay? Set the benchmark of, you know, how much you would expect a private purchased EV with LiDAR is going to cost. Right. And the issue they've been facing, I think, is the P6, usually, right? You know, P5, obviously, the numbering is supposed to be positioned lower than the P7. Mm-hmm. But the P7 doesn't have LiDAR. The P5 is a smaller car. So this is going sort of against convention, right? Usually a higher level model will have more features, will be more expensive. So the, these are the issues I think that the x is confronting. And also some of the customer feedback, you know, existing P7 customers, you know, when are we going to get, you know, when, when our P7 is going to be equipped with LiDAR? Yeah. Um, so, so these are the whole bunch of issues that I think they're internally debating, and and it probably um, has taken longer for them to, you know, set the pricing because I felt this is weird for for a startup for a smart EV startup. Usually, it's pretty straightforward. Usually, it's very transparent, right? But I guess not on the P five. It seems it, it's taken a bit longer to set everything. But let's also mm-hmm. let's also spend a couple minutes on the services side because as you'd mentioned earlier, the subscription services to upgrade to 2.5 or 3.0 or 3.5 X pilot, they haven't been announced. So if I am potential P5 buyer, I want to know that before I lock myself into their ecosystem. So that is to your point earlier, that's actually quite quite a substantial issue. Now, they're not going to start delivering. They've taken orders for the P5, but they're not going to start delivering for, for a bit, I think, at end of the year, right? Q4. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hesitant. So I would assume that they're going to roll out pricing uh, in the next couple of months in order to firm up those orders, uh, number one. And then if we take a step back, the market, and you and I have followed the automotive sector in, in China for you, the U.S. for me, since since we were little kids. The unprecedented speed because of the availability of software creating new features as opposed to physical hardware needing to be installed in vehicles. That's why traditionally you would have mid-cycle enhancements. That's why you would have these major upgrades every three, four, or five years, depending on the vehicle type. Um, that's the traditional auto sector. But now it's every 12, every 14 months, Tesla setting the pace. Xpeng is trying to set the pace, but I think they're still a little bit hesitant. And to me, that it's illustrated pretty obviously with their their how long it's taken them to roll out pricing for the P5 and not even figure out the subscription costs yet. Because you would think that they would just 
during that announcement have an out the, out the door price. You want to get the highest level P5, it's going to cost you this, which is still less than a Model 3. Blah, right? That would be that would have been pretty impressive, but this is I believe what Volkswagen is going through right now with the IDs. You know, they thought 18 months ago, 24 months ago when they froze the feature set on these vehicles, these EVs that they're building now, they thought they were going to be competitive, but we're seeing the market being pushed by domestic Chinese EV makers that are also trying to make an impact, grab share. And it's really difficult to keep up. And, and I think Xpeng still wants to be the leader and set the pace, but unfortunately their competitors are not cooperating, right? Yeah, and it's nice to bring a Volkswagen into this conversation in regard to the P5 because where the P5 is priced, the 160000 to 230000 is actually a so-called, that price range is right in the middle of the so-called dumbbell effect mm. that Volkswagen China CEO Seth Wallenstein talked about that is totally different than the ICE market, right. where the bulk of the ICE market is in the you know eighty thousand to two hundred fifty thousand range, mm -hmm. but in the EV market, some forty percent. Okay, classic example is the Rulin Honda Mini EV are priced below hundred thousand MMB, and then on the other side of the dumbbell is these you know hundred percent NEV pure NEV players, right? Right. You know, even the Xpeng, the Neos, the Autos, which are priced above at least 250,000 MMB. So X1P5 is obviously trying to set the benchmark in that part of the market where Volkswagen is trying to squeeze into with their ID4s and the latest ID6. Yeah, so, you know, there's a bit of both a internal competition and as well as external competition. Yeah, because and I think I've explained this before. What normally happens is the market research team along with the marketing team assesses the market the next 18 months, next 24 months, what products are coming out, what features each of these products are going to have and the target price range, the target market, target consumer. And then they go to the engineering team and say, we need in order for our P5 to be competitive, we need to have X, Y, and Z features, and they need to be priced at this. The engineering team throws up all over it, says either we can't do that at that cost, we're not going to be able to do it on time. And then the business leaders say, you got to make this happen. And then the engineers, they pull in all their resources in, it in order to make these features happen, throw it over to manufacturing and manufacturing says, we can't do this. And the suppliers can't do this, not at this cost, not at this price. And so to your point, these are all the internal battles that are happening all the time in the automotive sector and other product-related sectors. But in this new era of mobility, features are now software-based. So a lot of that software is a make-or-buy decision, right? Whereas traditionally hardware is mostly buy on the OEM side. But now, do we have the resources? Do we have the expertise in-house to create this new service feature for Xpilot 3.5? And guess what? The Chinese EV startups, they have those resources in-house because they're, you know, I think Xpeng said 40% of their employees are software developers or, or engineering people, right? Which means 
most of those are software developers. Whereas mm-hmm. Volkswagen, GM, Mercedes, Toyota, that ratio is much, much smaller from a software engineering standpoint. Now they have a ton of engineers, but they're not software engineers. And so therein lies the rub for the traditional automakers because they can't make these decisions without pulling in a supplier or pulling in an agency or a, or a third party software development company, not in the time frame that they need to in order to be uh, have competitive products with the features that need to be on these products. So it would be interesting to be part of some of these meetings to hear about all these different debates that they're having, right? Yeah. Another issue Expom, uh, the P5 would have to face is you do have to remember they're using a new kit on the block with a lighter supplier. It's, it's unproven. Mm. It's, you know, Levox from DJI, which kind of jumped them out of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. They have to prove that this is a stable, reliable quality product for this model. I mean, a lot of things are at stake, right? You know, at that price point and providing the functionality, the quality, the reliability. So yeah, this is a, this is a huge bet, you know, for P5. I'm going to tell you guys a quick story. When, when I was at Apple, the, the iPod mini came out and it came out with five colors, I think, right? It came out with mm-hmm. the, the, the silver, the gold, like four or five colors. And the internal team had forecasted completely wrong on the ratio of colors, right? Because now you need to buy those enclosures in the different colors. So there was a bottleneck because everybody was buying the gold color and the marketing team had forecasted completely incorrectly and didn't have enough gold ordered, gold enclosures ordered. So this is kind of sort of, to your point, this is a new product, right? They don't know what how accurate their forecast is going to be so it would also be interesting to learn of the six variants which ones they think are going to be their high runners because number one that'll indicate that would indicate to us who they think their competition is and then number two it'll give us an indication of okay we need to order 50,000 lidar because we're anticipating the 600p being the high runner or the 500p being the high runner. And so I would imagine, and, and this is a, a typical automotive sales strategy, is to price very low on the bare bones model to get people's attention. Traditionally, you would get people into the dealership because I price this car at $25,000 and then have the salesperson come in and over and talk to you and say, you know what, for $30,000, you can get an upgraded battery, X-Pilot 3.5, two LiDAR, because I noticed that you have two children, so you want a safer vehicle, right? And so it's pretty typical just upselling. And so the 160 might get eyeballs to the website, and then that's when they try to upsell you. So Yeah, and you know, for the P5, we don't really know how it will perform until at least early part of next year, because it will start developing in Q4. We're not going to get you know, meaningful numbers, uh, I doubt. So it won't be until the early next year when we see how they perform. There's going to be a glut of competitors at around the 200,000 RMB price point too. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we will see. And, uh, you know, so we brought Volkswagen into the conversation. Maybe it's worth uh, yeah. a bit of our time to, to talk about what Mercedes talked about today. And I'll tell you this, I, I felt... A bit of deja vu because it was almost the exact copy 
of what Volkswagen said 10 days ago. <laughs> so I'm wondering whether the CEOs, whether, you know, Ola Kalinias and Herbert Dees, they, they must have talked to each other, you know, oh, you're going to do this, we're going to do this as well. <laughs> you know, because... Well, <laughs> and you they've probably been in those meetings together with the German or the EU commission. Who, right, the fifth floor uh, uh, 55, which both CEOs said, you know, not surprised. It'll be a challenge, but they're ready, right? So, yes. um, but the interesting, you know, kind of the fine print. So Volkswagen Group said they'll be all electric in major markets of the world by 2040. <laughs> Mercedes said, by 2030, all electric, where market conditions allow. So these are the, the, the new fine prints that, well, so, that you see are very interesting. Yeah, that's 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 what I call the the weasel words or the the asterisk, the big asterisk, right? Yeah, big asterisk. You know, if it doesn't happen, hey, we said this, right? The only thing I think we, with relation with, with respect to China. A bit different, I thought, was Volkswagen was very vocal about their partnership with Goshen, right? Goshen yeah, helped yeah. with their Gigafactory in Salzgitter in Germany. Mm -hmm. But Mercedes, while they're planning to build eight gigas, I felt a bit surprising that they didn't mention uh, their cooperation with Farasis. Farasis, the Chinese um, cell manufacturer based in, in Jiangxi province. Right. I don't know if you heard they ran into they reached a strategic collaboration deal a year ago, but yeah, they ran some ran into some quality issues. I think in in the benchmarking stage, mm -hmm. so they were hesitant to talk about you know some of the cell partners they were going to work with. But at least we know that you know battery packs they they're already assembled in China. Cell manufacturing, I'm sure there there will be a factory there yeah. close to mm -hmm. Beijing you know but I thought that was one of the interesting things that they didn't weren't as clear as uh, Volkswagen and, and another and another interesting thing is Geely the, the you know owner of Mercedes or Daimler also has a sort of a joint venture with Thoracis so somehow you know these are intertwined they could be backing the wrong horse if Thoracis can't get in front of some of these quality issues. But it should also be mentioned that we are talking about Volkswagen brand, but with Dees, well, no, so we're talking about Volkswagen brand, generally speaking, but with Dees, he needs to look at nine brands or eight brands and create a battery and supply strategy for the entire company, as opposed to Daimler and Mercedes, which has, they have commercial trucking, but they, but they have two, so they have Smart and they have Mercedes as the private passenger vehicle. So so they're a lot simpler when it comes to creating strategies to satisfy the different brands in their stable. So I think you'll see Mercedes probably execute a bit faster than a, than a Volkswagen group. The one thing that I wanted to highlight that I read just now, which is actually pretty surprising, was that Oleg or Olaf? Um, mentioned that yeah, Ola, he he mentioned that they're going to try to transition out of dealerships wherever possible, which should have you know should have been red flags for a lot of dealerships in in the places where there's not protections for um, sales or restricting sales 
direct to the consumer from the automaker. So in the United States, there are some really onerous dealership laws that will force them to keep on selling through the dealership for quite some time. You know, Tesla has avoided that. Rivian's tried to avoid that. But, you know, we had talked about this before. If you don't sell through a dealer in Michigan, in Texas, they won't deliver your car in the state, in that state. So you got to go pick it up in another state. So I think that, that he, he actually mentioned that in the uh, update is, is pretty telling because the dealerships are trying to transition themselves. And right now, all the news is pricing has gone so high for vehicles because supply is low. So the dealerships are making a ton of money, but that's a short term pop, but there's still an existential threat to the dealerships if these brands decide to follow suit with the Tesla, with the Rivian, with the Volkswagen, and now with the Mercedes trying to bring the sales in, we can say sales, but they're trying to increase customer engagement effectively, right? Because once they start selling more services, the dealerships become a bit less relevant and they want that direct connection with the consumer. So I thought that was, that that stood out to me. To your point, everything else was pretty much table stakes, right? GM has said that they're phasing out. Ford said they're phasing out. Volkswagen effectively said they're phasing out. So this is just, everybody's doing it. So they just followed suit. And they kind of had to because the the European Commission forced their hand. So, yeah, this is exactly the same issue that Volkswagen is facing in China and probably elsewhere as they adapt to the. I will quote uh, Wallenstein that he said, "You were still learning, you know, using adopting this agency model uh, when you have two thousand dealers and and you when you still have this legacy dealership uh, model with the ICE cars." So, yeah, you know, this is a learning you, experience, um, uh, balancing the interests, right? At the same time. You know that in order for them to, because you had also mentioned to me privately that they're still targeting eighty to 100,000 in sales by the end of 2021. They can't do that with a direct consumer model. They need their dealerships to get that done. So Yeah, true. But at least, you know, things are looking up. So they expect 6,000 ID sales in July, which is double what they sold in June, which was about like 2,900. And based on their first half, they reveal some numbers. So in the first half of uh, 2021, group sales, BEV sales in China was just a bit over 18,000 units, which is 1% of their group overall vehicle sales in China. And Quarterly sales was about 6,000 units in Q1, 12,000 in Q2. So I imagine they should easily, if they expect 80,000 to 100,000, they should easily double uh, sequentially every quarter from here on out. Right. So Q3 would they double Q2 and Q4 would double Q3. So they will reach that goal. And it seems that the ID6 is getting some nice traction. Um, So yeah, um, I I think that they're they're out of that initial phase of underperformance and and stumbling out of the gate. It's catching up. So, you know, me being (laughs) most like in stand, right? So, you know, it's good. Yes. (laughs) So here's my take, Lay. I want to see average selling price. I want to see margins. 
because if they're going to get to that 80 to 100, I believe that they're going to have to incentivize the customer in some way. Now, they probably won't reduce the MSRP because that'll look, that'll make them lose face, but they'll probably incentivize them some other way. So, well, with the latest ID6 cross, they're giving one year free charging on the um, CAMS uh, charging network. So, that's Uh, one way to do it. Yes. Yeah. So, and it doesn't hit the vehicle pricing. So, they, the average selling price should still be pretty healthy. But if you look at, if we can agree from an accounting and finance standpoint, it's the same pair of pants, just different pockets. You know, their margins might get squeezed a little bit, or at least, you know, on the services side, they might not see that revenue that they thought they were going to see at the beginning of the year. So what do you think about the move by Volvo to buy out Geely? I thought it was way overdue, way overdue, because Volvo cars, unlike other uh, foreign uh, automakers, is unique in the sense that it's been owned, 100% owned by Geely for what? 11 years now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when they set up these operations, you know, by the way, Volvo cars produce at two plants. One is owned by Geely in Chengdu. So they're not going to be, so this operations, this latest change is not involving that plant, but mm-hmm. the other plant is in uh, Heilongjiang. Heilongjiang, yeah. Daqing. Daqing. Daqing, where they export the S90s to uh, Europe. So when Volvo Cars, you know, after GD uh, acquired Volvo Cars and set up the joint venture operations, GD still had to abide by the 50-50 rule. So even mm-hmm. though I own Volvo Cars, I still need to set up a joint venture with somebody that I own. So this was something that Li Shufu, you know, complained about, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. when, you know, the, the 50-50 rule is gone uh, forever uh, by the end of next year. Um, that was already announced. So, with BMW having you know increased their stake in their joint venture seventy five percent three years ago, with Tesla yes. mm-hmm. you know doing Wolfie, Hyundai by the way also operates a hundred percent owned commercial vehicle uh, operation in China. So now it's Volvo's car's turn, and and you know eventually I think you know brands co- or companies like Daimler, Mercedes, where the Chinese partner are not as strong. Right. Expect to see these happening more where the foreign automakers take more share uh, in in the joint ventures. But having said that, you know, for the Chinese industry, auto industry, it's not something to be scared or... or, Because you already have these players, NIO, Xpeng, BYDs, they can compete head on with the joint ventures, with the foreign brand. So, you know, let mm-hmm. them take over the shares. At the end of the day, we're going to compete on products. And right, so I think this is a natural way for the industry uh, sort of opening up more. But at the same yeah, time, you know, it doesn't mean I get control, I get leverage, I'm going to win. It doesn't mean that, uh, right? Yeah, this is That's generally just an indication. It's just an indication of, to your point, the maturing market. And I remember eight, nine years ago, everybody, I won't say everybody, people thought that Volvo was going to replace Audi as like the official government vehicle, right? Because now it's a Chinese 
own brand. But that never really happened either. But with that being said, without Geely's help, Volvo wouldn't have the uh, XC90. They wouldn't have the, the S90. These, these are beautiful cars, and they sell really well um, in China. And I think Volvo has had their best sales years over the last few years. Now, will this affect their sales in China? Because now that they're not, quote unquote, a Chinese-owned brand i don't think so but you know they have their own challenges because hundreds of thousands of of sales a year is a lot different than millions and so i know that they have ambitions to get into the millions of vehicles a year but if the polestar is struggling as much as it is that transition over to evs for volvo seems like it's going to be pretty uh pretty challenging just like every other foreign maker who's traditionally known as an ICE manufacturer, so and for Volvo, by the way, they're, they're announcing their Q2 earnings tomorrow or, or today, your time. You know, on the books, it'll look better, right? Because they have full yeah. control uh, rather than kind of the equity method that that most of these, um, you know, Volkswagen and Daimler that they they um, use on the books. And and also, I think this happened a couple of days or maybe a few days after Volvo and GV set up that. Oral Bay powertrain joint sure. venture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think strategically, there's still the possibility of kind of a, I don't know, IPO or kind of as a standalone, you know, right? Yeah. Uh, Volvo cars is still being talked about. Um, there were some rumors, um, you know, over over the last few years on um, where they would IPO. And uh, one, so one, I think there's one other point. One other point that's notable is that I don't believe that there were any of the cost advantages that were originally forecasted that were actually conceived. And so separating from Geely should not actually be that painful from a cost-saving standpoint because I don't think Geely and Volvo ever got to the point where they're sharing a lot of common parts for their vehicles or engineering costs. So, you know, I, I don't know, maybe maybe the fixed cost was a little bit cheaper under the Geely holding company, but I don't right. believe manufacturing costs are going to be significantly different. Yeah, I, I mean, Geely has already benefited uh, tremendously from the acquisition of Volvo cars. And in, in a sense, Geely, if you look at when they launched the Xingyue, Xingyue L, their big, large SUV, mm. Li Shufu came out. He never comes out on product launches. And it seems that Geely as a brand is really sort of becoming China's Volvo already. So, you know, even having Volvo be a bit independent and then kind of a bit far away from Geely, maybe that's what they want, you know, uh, though it's still 100% owned by the holding group. But, right. you know, Geely's established itself uh, as a brand with you know, with Lincoln Co., with, with the Zika, right? Uh, Zika is probably the Volvo for Geely, you know, internally, mm-hmm. uh, or even higher. So, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if Volvo cars sort of is in a position as uh, similar to Porsche, what Porsche is uh, doing, right? Uh, rumors mm-hmm. uh, out there, you know, IPOing. Yeah, so, but it's 
you know, this is becoming more natural where, you know, foreign partners are taking over joint ventures. There's more. Yeah, kind of, I don't. It's, I, it's, it's just, just I, the natural. I think, we, I think we'll see more of that. But uh, yeah. let's, let's, the final subject. Speaking of IPOs, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you had some, some stories about Yue uh, Tingjia, uh, uh, who is the yeah. founder of Leisure. And he's also the founder of Faraday Future, and he has had a huge soap opera. We bring up Faraday Future because they IPO'd yeah. or reverse merged into a SPAC last night, and now yeah. they're a public company. They raised a billion dollars. So maybe you can tell us about Jia Yuting in his old days. You know, if a cat had nine lives, <laughs> YT Jia probably had 900 million lives. Oh, man. Because oh. this guy just never goes away, right? I mean, the way he's been sued, the way he is, he's, you know, having his finances frozen, he can't go back to China, right? There, there's a famous, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, there's a nickname for it called, um, I'm coming back next week, YT Jia. <laughs> I did not know that. Actually, the translation oh. should be, uh, coming back to China next week, uh, YT Jia. <laughs> oh man! Uh, uh, so, because he left China four years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe the the right way is he he ran away. <laughs> yeah, he problems. he left. He yeah. left Leisure a freaking mess. Yeah, and and this is you know I think it's the the, the things that he's gone through are just I tell you in the early days. I think at the end of 2014, when he announced this, this whole SEE, which is um, Super Electronic Ecosystem, mm-hmm. hence the La C uh, brand, uh, Smart EV brand from the La TV, uh, right? And, and that yeah. was, you know, back in the 2013 and 2014, we were in Beijing. Yeah. Remember the, the, the haze, how bad they were? Yeah. Uh, during during the winter times, you know, uh, yep. over five hundred uh, in, in AQI uh, numbers all the time, right? So he he sent a Weibo saying that he wants to do something, you know. And then he started the Lacy and and hiring people. And yes. I remember in two thousand fourteen and fifteen attending quite a few events. One of the events was held at the La TV Center, which is now the <laughs> Uh, Cadillac, Cadillac Arena in western part of Beijing. So for uh, for Lao for Lao Beijing, really quickly for Lao Beijing, yeah. it's called Wukazong. So it's Wukazong, on the yeah. uh, west side, and that's where they play basketball. So it's a basketball arena, or it's a yeah. Sports so the arena. Cadillac uh, Arena is where Neil had their uh, first Neil Day in 2017. Before that, mm-hmm. it was the La TV Arena, right? They they. <laughs> They sponsored it, and, and they, they held and events we there. Mention, <laughs> and, and we should mention, Le, Le was his thing, right? It was Le Echo, yeah. Le TV, yeah, Le Sports. Yeah. Well, Le so, TV was kind of the, what, Netflix of China or something was billed as? Yes. And mm-hmm. so one event, they also did smartphones, by the way. They just gave <laughs> every press attending a free phone back in the days. Yeah. I, yeah. And there was and their, ambitious their head, plans. Their, their headquarters was right on Fourth Ring Road, right? And right. that's gone now. Uh, and and to, to add to his persona non grata, 
for China. His wife and his son are in China, I believe. And uh, uh, I, I don't know, but I mean, yeah. But <laughs> over the years, if you look at the executives that he's hired to run, you know, some of the companies and receive. So Ding Lei, right, who is the founder, chairman, CEO of uh, Human Horizons, which makes the Hi-Fi brand Hi-Fi X. Mm -hmm. He used to be the vice chairman of Lacie. Uh <laughs> He was hired in 2015 after serving as a deputy district mayor in Shanghai, right? And the Hi-Fi X, if you look at that model, it highly resembles the FF91. So I'm not sure the whether there's any connection. Yeah. And Karsten Breitfeld, the current CEO of Fairy Future, was the co-founder and president of Byton, whom I've interviewed many times. And Faraday Future is still, twenty. by the way, 20% owned by Evergrande Auto, <laughs> which, by the way, has Daniel Kirchert, the other co-founder and CEO, former CEO of Byton, as their current EVP. So if you look at this web, tangled web, and somehow they're related and, and it's a small circle, industry circle, and, and how, how this ended up being like this. And it's been seven years and we're still 12 months away from actually a production vehicle. And I remember the reason why I say it's deja vu is I remember the few times I interviewed um, Karsten and as well as Daniel, you know, the question that would always come up is, are you on schedule with your production of the Ambite? <laughs> and every time they would say yes. And every time, you know, Karsten a few times, he told me, oh, you know, coming out from BMW, we have a strict schedule of, you know, we have this, right, SOP schedule, a 10 from zero, yeah. you know, from, from the Germans, you know, <laughs> zero is SOP, 10 is from the product initiation or idea phase. We count backwards. Right now, we're at six. A few months later, we're at five, four, but it never got to zero, right? So so for those who don't know, SOP stands for start, start of production. Um, so, so the big question is, you know, the, like Evergrande, we still don't have a production vehicle yet uh and, and it's been how many years Byton was formed in, in, yeah Byton was formed in what 2016 right and then never got anywhere so, so um so has its own Byton has its own challenges right i think they are not not able to pay their bills so that doesn't look like they're going to come to be able to produce a vehicle unless foxconn bails them out and, and we also know yeah. that a billion dollars to get a vehicle to market or production is not a lot of money. So they're going to be tapping the capital markets again, Faraday Future, that is, very soon. I think their first batch of vehicles, the FF91 Futurist Alliance, well, there's is two, limited to 300. Yeah, right? there's two versions, the Futurist version and the Alliance, which is like the what first edition, sort of, right? So Yeah. Uh, but... It was interesting if you saw the live stream where YT was talking about the positioning of the FF91 uh, in his heavy Shanxi accent, English accent, <laughs> Shanxi accent, speaking English. He said it would, it would be at the top of the pyramid. So above hmm. the ultra yeah. uh, three brands of, you know, Rolls Royce, Bentley, 
that was oh, <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. You've got to love his ambition. You got to love his ambition. Yeah, you sent me an article on South China Morning Post about you know Zhuhai, right? The local government couldn't get one of their investment through because of foreign exchange requirements. Yeah. I, I guess I think it was hundred seventy-five million dollars. Five million dollars, and FF was Zhuhai was one of the localities for Chinese production eventually, and the local government was trying to be an investor, but that didn't go through. So. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. You correct me if I'm wrong, but another dimension of this was in order for Faraday to get out from under bankruptcy in, with the debtors, Jia Yueting had to sell out of his position, his entire position of the company. And so supposedly he doesn't own much of the company anymore. But I was told that if you look at the management team, there's a, a younger vice president, who's the head of corporate finance. Uh, that's his nephew. And so, so yeah, there's still some ownership within the family. <laughs> um, but just reading the, the news wire, the software that is going to be needed to create this ecosystem that he wants to roll out, it's going to be a nightmare for them. So again, very ambitious, seven years. They got here with the numerous, numerous challenges. I don't think he's going to be able to come back to China for a long, long time. And uh, he left a terrible wake in his path with his, his other company that basically went out of business because they couldn't pay its bills. Uh, he couldn't pay its bills. So Lusher, that company is no more effectively. So, so we are at 930 uh, Lei, you want to see if anybody has any questions or comments about uh, what we've talked about or anything else that they'd like to talk about? Uh, sure. Please raise your hand and we'll, we'll bring and you I'll, up to I'll, the yeah, stage. I'll just add a little bit on the product-wise. I was at CES uh, in 2020 right before the pandemic and I test rode the FF91 and I'll tell you this, it's, you know, they have this zero gravity seating in the back, which you can recline pretty much all the way. And the bunch of screens, I think there's like a dozen screens inside the car. <laughs> Automatic opening doors. It's, how do I describe it? Maybe it's it's a much more extreme version of the P5 where you can lie down and, and mm -hmm. watch movies, right? The, 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 what, the sleep mode? It's just some of the features are really extreme, I thought. And yeah, uh, and it's, a it's, it's a massive car. It's a big it's, car. It's a, it's a massive so it's car. Not. It's a big car. I, I felt like a school bus riding in it. And so, yeah. I am not in the majority, but I actually think it looks pretty cool. <laughs> so, most of my friends, I don't know you, I don't know what you think of it, but I actually like it, like the shape, and, but it's a massive, massive car. That brings us to the end of this week's show. Lay and I thank you for tuning in. My name is Tu Lee, and you can find me on Twitter at Sino Auto Insight. That's S-I-N-O-A-U-T-O-I-N-S-I-G-H-T. You can find Lei on Twitter at LeiXing77. That's L-E-I-X-I-N-G-7-7. If you wouldn't mind rating and or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you grab your podcast from, we'd appreciate that as well. Even better, if you enjoy this show, please tell your friends about it. Please join us again next week as we track down all the latest news 
on China, EVs, and more.